Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast of the Potter's House in Virginia Beach. church with a worldwide vision for winning souls, making disciples, and planting churches. We're a Pentecostal church affiliated with the Christian Fellowship Ministries. We hope you enjoy today's sermon. How many of you have a perfect marriage? Well, at least we're dealing with an honest crew. (laughs) Dave Barry said, aside from traffic, the leading cause of anger is marriage. No matter how much you love somebody, if you spend enough time with that person, you're going to notice his or her flaws. If Romeo had stayed long enough under the balcony, staring up worshipfully at Juliet, he'd have become acutely aware of her nasal hairs. (laughs) And that is what happens when you stay married for a while. You begin to notice hair growing from places it didn't used to grow from. Hallelujah. My wife said, oh, honey, you should have worn a T-shirt. You're... That's why I have a wife, to civilize me. <coughs> She's been working on it for 38 years. I'm still not civilized, but had you known me 38 years ago, you'd say she's doing pretty good. Yeah. So if you've been married for a while... These seminars are going to help you uh, deal with those realities that as you grow older together, you have to deal with things that you perhaps didn't have to deal with before. If you're newlyweds, then this will simply give you some insight into what you have to look forward to. Either way, I believe God's going to help us, and God's going to give you a word for your marriage in one of these seminars, if not in all three. And so keep your ears open, and I believe God will be able to speak into your life. We're going to use Adam and Eve for our role models, uh, and uh, I believe just from their story, we can get an awful lot of insight into marriage. So we're going to read tonight uh, in Genesis 2, and then tomorrow we'll be looking at Genesis 3. But tonight, Genesis 2, beginning with verse 18, And the Lord said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. Out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. So Adam gave names to all cattle, to the birds of the air, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper comparable to him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father... And mother, and be joined to his wife, and they shall become 
one flesh, and they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word, and I ask for your grace in the preaching of it. I pray that you'll fill this pulpit, and your spirit will cause my words to go way beyond anything I can say. You'll give them life. You'll quicken your word, and your word will touch us, God. I pray you'll help every couple here. Your blessing will flow to them, and I ask for your grace in Jesus' name. And everyone said, uh, Amen. Amen. So by looking at the first marriage or the original marriage, we are using a theological device called the passage of primary reference, also known as the law of first mention. And basically what this means is that on any given topic, if you look at the first place that it crops up in Scripture, you're going to find some very definitive statements about that topic. You're going to get God's first statement on an issue and whether that is strictly true is probably debatable but it's not a bad rule of thumb and I do believe we can get a lot of information uh, and understanding from Adam and Eve. The first thing that we see is that God's initial design was based on human need. It was based on Adam's Inadequacy. It was based on the fact that he was not complete. It wasn't good for him to be alone. We all know this if we know bachelors. It's not good for men to be alone. Now I want each couple here this evening to look at your mate. Your mate. No one else's mate. I want you to look at your mate. And I want the husband to say to the wife, I need you. And I want the wife to say to the husband, I need you. And I want you both to stop saying in the back of your mind like I need a hole in the head. (laughs) You might think, that you're smarter than God, but you're not. And God knows what you both need. And some of you might think, well, yeah, I I know what I need, but I didn't get what I need. You got exactly what you needed. Ladies, you got a man. Men, you got a woman. That's exactly what you needed. (laughs) I know there's a whole group of people in America today who don't see eye to eye with that statement, but it is true. And in truth, those generic classifications really do sum up what men and women need. What we need is that strange creature that God joined us together with, that is the opposite sex. A man needed a woman. God looked at all the animals and said, that's not going to (laughs) work. But when God formed woman, he said, that's what a man needs. A man needs a woman. A woman needs a man. Just to put it into very simple terms that we can relate to, 
I mentioned earlier that my wife has been trying to civilize me. Men need a woman to do that. Left to ourselves, we will be Neanderthals all the days of our lives. We will be rude. We will be unkempt. We will scratch in public. We will do things that we shouldn't do. And it is a woman that notices all of those things and goes, oh, that's disgusting. Don't do that. And they really save us from truckloads of embarrassment and social faux pas. Amen. And for ladies, you know, it's very obvious. How many times have you been thankful that there was a man around when you had something heavy to lift out of the trunk? (laughs) End of discussion. Men need women. Women need men. And I know that's an oversimplification, but the reality is that males and females bring different things to the table. If we were the same, and this is what we all wished when we first got married. We all had this argument, at least all of us men. I don't know what you ladies think. You ladies don't think like men. I don't know what you think. But every man in this place, at some point after marriage, said, God, why did you do this to me? Why? I can't understand. What, what, did you, what were you thinking? This is not, she's not like me. She doesn't think like me. She doesn't act like me. She freaks out over the weirdest stuff. She expects the strangest things. She wants bizarre things from me. I don't get it. And that's the whole point. That's the whole point. If she was just like you, you both would scratch. You, you both would be impossible people. The whole reason why we're so different is because look at the gaps. That's you. That's you on, on drugs. <laughs> now this is you on drugs. This is, this is you with all these enormous gaps. And here's this woman with these enormous gaps. And they fit. Like this, not like this. When we're always fighting to get the other person like us, we're missing the point. The whole point is to allow for that uniting of two completely different creatures so that they can bring each other into balance and hopefully have a very positive effect on each other. The word that's used here, helper, is not a derogatory or a demeaning term whatsoever. The basic sense in the Hebrew, is someone who brings someone else to completion. Who completes me. I am not complete. I am incomplete without my wife. It is also used to speak of one who comes to rescue another. And we are, in fact, all of us, each other's salvation to one degree or another. And we all play a role in redeeming each other. And redeeming each other from lives of sin and selfishness. And God is able to bring that reassurance into our lives through a good marriage. And he is able to bring the adjustments that have to come so that we are not completely selfish creatures. And that's the primary purpose of marriage. To to help us to change. We all need change. And I know there's a few of you that really don't believe that. And you fight it tooth and toenail. And 
You're the ones who need the change the most. Amen. When Adam woke and Eve was sitting next to him, he said, Yabba dabba doo! <laughs> or words to that effect. According to the Living Bible, he said, This is it. He'd been looking at zebras and kangaroos and such things. And he said, this is it. Amen? And the truth of the matter is, at some point in your relationship, that's what you said about your spouse. Probably early on, at some point in the courting game, the lights came on, and just like Adam, you, this is the one, this is it. And uh, ladies, you thought much the same, this is the one. Or, or maybe you didn't have an epiphany, maybe you kind of grew on each other like fungus, but you came to the realization that this is the person for me, and if you hadn't come to that conclusion, you wouldn't be here tonight. For whatever rationale you used, whatever formula, whatever it was, at some point you came to the conclusion that this is it. And then over time you came to Dave Barry's conclusion on things and you became frustrated with the one that you were convinced was your salvation, your hope, your future. And now they're not that person. And that's a tragedy because in truth, they are that person. They are the person. This is the one. The one you're married to is exactly the one you need. Oh, they're not my soulmate. There's no such thing as soulmates. Every person brings all of their baggage into the marriage with them. And then it is the process of working through those personalities and issues uh, that refine us, that shape us, that cause ultimately a marriage to become a blessing. Proverbs 24, 3 and 4 says, Through wisdom a house is built, and by understanding it is established. By knowledge the rooms are filled with all precious and pleasant riches. There's a fascinating proverb because the word built actually in the Hebrew means to be rebuilt or reconstructed. The word uh, established means to set upright something that has fallen down or to untwist something that has become twisted. And so here he's talking about a home. He's talking about a family. He's, and he's assuming right from the get-go that this thing is going to get broken and rebuilt. It's going to fall over and you got to set it back up. It's going to get twisted, and you're going to have to untwist it. And this is the reality of marriage. We come together. There's that honeymoon period. And then invariably at some point, and for some of us, it's just a friction. For some of us, it is an absolute head-on train wreck. But there is that point when it gets broken, when it falls over, when it's no longer 
what we thought it should be. And the Bible says that by wisdom, understanding, and knowledge, we can fix what's been broken. So I want to give you hope here tonight. No matter how derailed your marriage may feel to you tonight, the Bible says it can be rebuilt. You may not have spoken to each other for years. I hope it's not that bad. But it can be rebuilt. But it takes understanding. It takes knowledge. It takes wisdom. Wisdom is the right application of knowledge. It's taking what you know and using it correctly. Knowledge is insight. It's cunning. It's learning. It's perception. Uh, uh, Wisdom uh, is, uh, we already said that, understanding is discretion. It's reason. It's skillfulness. And so the the bottom line uh, is to rebuild this thing takes a lot of study. It takes a lot of effort. It's not an easy thing, but it can be done. And so that's the first note I want you to take if you're taking notes at all, is that this thing can be good because that's the way God planned it. He planned this to complete my life. He planned this to be a blessing to me. If it's less than a blessing, then it needs work. That's all. Doesn't mean it's over. Doesn't mean it's time to file for divorce. Doesn't mean it's time to go look for somebody who will make you happier. No one can make you happier than the person you're with. Because the problem is you will always bring you into whatever relationship you're in. And you're the problem. And so it's not a question of, you know, this can't be fixed. We're too different. We're too messed up. Of course you're different. If you weren't different, I'd be worried about you. Very much so. You're supposed to be different. But with effort, with wisdom, with, with application, you can make it better. Okay, so let's talk about at least some of the issues in making it better. There's four elements that we see in our text to a good marriage. There are four critical issues. And these apparently would be revelation that was added after Adam made his statement, this is it. And Moses went on and commented on the situation by the Holy Spirit and said, therefore, because of this situation with Adam and Eve, therefore, there are four things that need to happen uh, to make this marriage work. The first of this is separation from the family of your birth. When you married him, you left mom and dad. When you married her, you didn't marry her mother and father. Or her brothers. Or anybody else. When you married, you married each other to become a new family. And I know it says that a man shall leave his father and mother. But it is implied. Many, many times the Bible uses the term man to speak to both genders. Okay, so let's not be stupid. (laughs) The man has to leave his mother and father, but it doesn't say anything about me. Let's not be stupid. Let's be intellectually ethical here and acknowledge that for a marriage to work, both parties have to leave the families of their birth. And I'm saying this because it's amazing to me how few actually understand this and yet how critical it is. Half of the 
fighting that I am trying to solve when I'm doing marriage counseling isn't between the husband and wife. It's between their families. It's between people that aren't even supposed to be involved. Listen, when you have a marriage problem, the last person you want to ask advice for is your parent. They they are completely blind to how wicked and evil you are. It is always, I knew you shouldn't have married that guy. I told you not to marry that guy. Because there's not a guy on the planet that's good enough for their daughter. The number one relationship in your life is God. The number two relationship is your spouse. Then your concerns fall to the rest of the unsaved world. And then your family comes in a distant fourth. My dad on his wedding night. My dad, he was a funny guy. He really was. But when he got drunk, he got mean. And so... He, uh, you know, what do you do on your wedding night when you're not a Christian? You get loaded. And so he's there at the party at the reception, and they're all getting loaded together. And, uh, and so he turns to my mom and says, okay, get your coat, honey. We're leaving. It's about 9 o'clock. And, and so my grandmother, my mother's mother, who had a little bit of a domination problem, a little bit of an edge, control edge there, looked at my father and said, you're not leaving yet. The party is just beginning. And he looked at her and said, if you ever want to see your daughter again, ever, you will never, ever again tell me what to do. That was on the wedding night. And that set the relationship in order from that day forward. Grandma never again said a word to my father about the marriage. And they actually had a great relationship. They were friends for many, many years. But that's because he put her in her place right off the bat. Now, now listen, I am not suggesting <laughs> that that's really the best way to handle it. Unless maybe you're drunk, but you shouldn't be drunk because you're a Christian. But somehow, at some point, it has to be a settled issue, and everybody involved needs to know it. And I'll tell you this right now. If your mother or father says to you anything negative about your spouse, your position needs to immediately be, don't ever talk about my spouse that way again. Don't ever say that. If I ever hear you say that again, I won't come back. And you got to put the hammer down. they got to know that you mean it. I am not messing with this. That's my spouse. I chose that person. I didn't choose you. (laughs) Hallelujah. You just happened to bring me into the world. And for that, I'm grateful. But shut up. (laughs) Relatives are a problem in marriage. And so the Bible says you got to leave them. You got to leave them. The second thing you have to do then is to cleave to one another. You leave and you cleave. All right? It's an easy easy thing to remember. Cleaving, the root word literally means glue. It means glue. How many of you ever messed with super glue and got your fingers stuck together? That is embarrassing. 
I mean, this is a stuck situation. And there's no getting out of it. All right? And so the first thing this speaks to is the permanence of marriage. Now, you might think that you're smarter than God, but you're not. And God said, uh, what I put together, don't you dare put it apart. I have put you together for permanence. And I don't doubt that there are times when it feels like the only sane solution is to go your separate ways. There are times when you cannot see the forest through the trees. And in your opinion, I've got to get out of this or I'll never be happy. I don't doubt that there are times that this seems sane, but it's not. And except in situations of adultery or abandonment, sexual immorality or abandonment, then the Bible says you're in this for the long haul. And if you divorce for anything but one of those two issues, then not only will this lead to God withdrawing his blessing from your life. He says in Malachi, I'm not even going to listen when you pray. Well, that's, how many of you know that's about the worst thing you'll ever hear in your life? God saying to you, I'm not listening to you when you pray. It doesn't get any more hopeless than that. I would rather live with a brawling woman than to live with a God who won't listen when I pray. And so very clearly, God is opposed to this. So not only do you lose your blessing, not only will God not bless your life going forward, not only will you be bringing a curse on your children, which you will be doing, but you will also fail to realize that the most important part of your life has just been sabotaged. Because... That marriage, as I mentioned before, is in many ways your salvation. It is the way that you are going to be transformed from a selfish brat to a tolerable human being. Because the truth of the matter is, without one of the other violations, without sexual immorality or abandonment, the only reason you're going to get divorced without that is because you're too selfish to change. You can argue the point till the cows come home, but what we've got is two people who will not make the sacrifices necessary so they can get along. I'm, I'm divorcing her for incompatibility. Well, then we better all get divorced because none of us are compatible. I, we just can't make it work. No, you won't make it work. You won't make the sacrifices that must be made to put another person before yourself, which is what marriage is. It's putting someone else's interest before your own. That's what love is. Love is not Hollywood. Love is not hot flashes. Love is not <laughs> movie kisses. That's not love. You know what love is? How many of you know what love is? Love is death. <laughs> no greater man, no greater love has any man but this. He dies. And that's exactly what Paul requires of husbands in Ephesians. Die, sucker. which is the one thing we men refuse to do. I will not die. 
This is my house. This is my kingdom. I am God here. And God never dies. Marriage, marriage, marriage is all about learning how to sacrifice for that other person. He says to the wife, submit. That's putting yourself under someone. That's, that's, that, that's an element of death. That's a willful surrender. Submit. Willfully surrender. And all the guys love to stop it right there. Submit. It's what the Bible says, lady. Submit. Yeah, right after you die. You die, she submits, everybody gets along perfectly. She lays your cold, dead body out and weeps. It's great. We're glued together. We're joined at the hip. We either are going to do this the easy way or the hard way. We're either going to resist that connection or we're going to grow into that connection. How many of you ever heard the story about the people at the, at the banquet and they all, their arms were all attached to long utensils so they couldn't bend their arms? So they had forks and knives in their hands and they're all at this big table sitting together and nobody can eat because they can't bend their arms to eat. And so they're all very upset about this, and, they, and they, just, they don't know what to do. And finally, it dawns on one of them to cut the other person's food and feed this person, and this person feeds this person, and they all had a wonderful banquet when they stopped worrying about themselves. And this is exactly what's going on with you and your spouse. You're at the table together. <laughs> and some of you are going, hey, I hate you. I'm going to cut you. you. Cut you. But the smart ones are going, want another bite, honey? And it works great. And that's what a marriage is. You can either fight, pull, or you can just start to learn how to live together. And enjoy the ride. And let that proximity grow on you. And that is another part of being glued together. There's a degree of togetherness involved in a marriage. I'm not saying that you have to do everything together. I'm not saying that you can't have any friends outside of marriage. That kind of control freak stuff is really weird. If a guy, ladies, won't let you have any friends in church... You need to have some counseling with your pastor right away so he can smack that man with a heavy hammer and rearrange his brain. You know, no, no, thanks, pastor. I needed that. Okay? Control freaks are weird people, and they need help. And even some women are like that. You know, I can never go out and go skiing with the boys or hunting. You know, in North Carolina, a wife says to her husband, she can't go hunting. That, she don't belong in North Carolina. That's all there is to it. We live in New York City or something. 
I'm not saying that, you know, she has to go to the gun shows with you. And I'm not saying you have to go mall crawling with her every time she wants to go shopping for a new purse. But I am saying that being joined, being glued together, implies that there is some togetherness, and it would really help if you would discover some things that you both enjoy doing together. I can give you a couple clues right off the bat. They're not hard. Eating. We all like to eat. Come on. We all like to eat. Eating together. Eating together at home, eating together. Take her out on an occasional date, something beyond McDonald's. Just to let her know, you know, you really value her. She doesn't have to cook that night. Take her someplace nice. That's good. That's good. Eating together is good. There's, there's one thing you can start doing together. And, and, and don't just slam down your food. Just talk a little. How was your day? It's fine. Okay. <laughs> Work at it. Work at it. Okay. And then maybe exercise together. That will help with the problems you created by eating together. Find something to do together. Find some mutual points of interest so that there are connecting points, that you're creating a bond. It's just a cheap piece of advice. If you don't want to do that, you don't have to, but you won't get out of marriage what you need. Thirdly, it says, the two shall become one flesh. This talks about unity on a deeper level. Unity is the result of the process of accepting each other for who you are. That's a tough one. Because we always want to change what we don't like about the other person. But the truth of the matter is is, is that unity comes through negotiation. It comes by giving and taking. It comes by forgiving and listening and talking and sharing and making a place in your heart for that other person. That they are welcome in your heart and in your life. Having Christ at the center of your life greatly helps here. In fact, many times he will be the one thing that does hold you together. Is you have this unity in Christ. If you read your Bible, unity is a very powerful part of Christianity. The Trinity is unity. That's who God is. He is the union of three distinct persons to the point that they are one. I can't explain it. You can't understand it. So let's just blow right by it. (laughs) But the bottom line is it speaks of unity. It speaks of this incredible embrace one of another and ultimately that's critical in our lives and so really a successful marriage always consists of a trinity it consists of a man a woman and Jesus and the uh, the old illustration is if you put Jesus at the top and you have a woman and a man and you both are moving towards Christ then inevitably you're going to get closer to each other. That is the 
uniting reality of having Christ as the Lord of your lives. So, having said that, it doesn't do either one of you any good to neglect your Christianity. But many times, husbands get so busy, they stop being the covering of their wife. They stop praying. They stop reading the word of God. Paul says in Ephesians, you've got to wash your wife in the word of God. You've got to be able to speak to her. And that doesn't mean you speak to her every time she does something you don't like, you have a verse for it. <laughs> now, yeah, you know what the Bible says about that? <laughs> to wash her in the word is to bathe her in it, to, to, to constantly be talking about the word together, bringing revelation into your house. Being a spiritual man. Women need spiritual men. If Adam had been just a little more spiritual, we wouldn't have the problems we have today. Amen. But he abdicated. We'll talk about that some tomorrow. The bottom line is you need to be spiritual men and women. And you need to strive together for unity. You might think that you're smarter than God, but you're not. And a house divided against itself cannot stand. Where there is division, you got problems. That means that you cannot fight fiercely for your independence, maintaining your rights and maintaining your privileges. You have to give and you have to learn how to be a blessing to that other person and draw your lives together. Peter Marshall said, marriage is not a federation of two sovereign states. It is a union, domestic, social, spiritual, physical. It is a fusion of two hearts, the union of two lives, the coming together of two tributaries, which after being joined in marriage will flow in the same channel in the same direction, carrying the same burdens of responsibility and obligation. Ultimately, a marriage becomes two people on a team, together, striving for the same ends. You're not contenders at opposite corners of the ring, waiting for the next bell to go off so you can start slugging it out again. You are meant to pull together and address life's problems together. That one went over like a lead balloon. It's how it works, folks, and if you don't do that, you're going to regret it. Finally... He goes beyond even that into the arena of intimacy. So we've gone from glue to union now to intimacy. The two were naked and not ashamed. This implies physical and emotional intimacy. We're going to look at the emotional side of this tomorrow, but tonight I just want to think about physical intimacy for a moment. A spark plug is a very small part of a car, but they don't run well without it. You can minimize sex and say it's not that important, but your car will not run without sexual intimacy. At best, it'll be running on one cylinder. The other three will be going... <laughs> you cannot underestimate the power of sexual intimacy. You want to read an amazing book. It's called Hooked. It's written by two doctors. And it talks all about what happens physically, chemically in your body when you have any kind of intimacy. Holding hands. Kissing. 
and then you move on around the bases, and <laughs> it gets more and more intense. And by the time you're through, there's all of these hormones that God put in your body that only get released sexually. It's the only time they come out to play. <laughs> but those chemicals are incredible in what they do in a relationship. They bond two people together, even if you don't want to be bonded together. You become bonded together. This is why Paul says, don't you understand, if you lie with a harlot, you become one with her. That even outside of the context of the blessing of marriage, sex has this incredible bonding. And if you want your marriage to stay bonded... Need I say more? <laughs> Listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7. Now concerning the things of which you wrote to me, it's good for a man not to touch a woman. It leads to all kinds of things. Nevertheless, because of sexual immorality, let each man have his own wife, and let each woman have her own husband. Let the husband render to his wife the affection due her. Affection means sex in this context. You don't believe me? Do your own study. He's talking about sexual intimacy. Uh, render the affection to her, and likewise also the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And all you women just went... <gasps> and likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body. But the wife does. Do not deprive one another except with consent for a time that you may give yourselves to fasting and prayer and come together again so that Satan does not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. All right. Do you think that they were more spiritual in the book of Corinthians than they are today? No, they, that, that church was a train wreck. Okay, so they're just like us. They're people just like us. So do you think that their typical time of prayer and fasting was 40 days? <laughs> what do you think their typical time of prayer and fasting was? What's your typical time of prayer and fasting? Never. <laughs> All right, let's, let's pretend we're a little more spiritual than that. I fast once a week for one day. All right, well, that gives you some kind of idea how long you should abstain. Is my math correct? Oh, well, we go three days twice a year. Okay, so abstain three days twice a year. You mean we're supposed to more than once a month? More than once a year? I mean, it's a special night this way. We only do it once a year. It's special. Paul says, do not come apart but for mutually consented prayer and fasting. Honey, 
Not tonight. We need to get a hold of God. Mm. But I'll see you tomorrow. I know you think you're smarter than God, but you're not. And when we deprive or disdain sexual intimacy, we're causing problems in our marriage. The two were naked and not ashamed. What does that imply? He'd say, had a good time in paradise. I know you have a headache, and I know you don't feel good about your body, and I know you're tired, and I know you got a million reasons for it, but Paul says if you don't see to this part of your life, Satan's going to take advantage of it. He's going to get right in the middle of it, and even if it doesn't lead to some sort of affair or external uh, sexual infidelity or immorality, Satan is still going to use it against you. He's going to cause that to become a dividing point. He's going to cause that to become a bone of contention and it's going to wreck your marriage. Amen. God said to the first couple, be fruitful and fill the earth. He said that to one man and one woman. Be fruitful and fill the earth. (laughs) There's a whole lot of messing around going on. You got to create a whole world of babies. Be fruitful. Fill the earth. Get it? Get after it. What are you standing here for? I can see, I can see God saying to them, Well, <laughs> go on. And I encourage you to keep yourselves in Moderately good physical condition. Not only to avoid tragedy, but also to maintain a certain sex appeal. You say, oh, how superficial. Well, you know what's interesting to me? As I read the Song of Solomon, I've read it more than once. In fact, when I was a new convert, I stumbled across it. And I'm reading it, and I'm going, I can't believe this is in the Bible. This is unbelievable. You know, your glasses are steaming up. You're reading the Bible, and you're steaming up. But I've read that book many times. And not once do either Solomon or his queen say, I love them for their intellect. Neither one of them says, I just love the way he speaks French. I just love her cooking. You know what they're both hung up on? Each other's body. That's all that there is in the Song of Solomon. They don't even talk a lot about their spirituality. They talk about each other's body. He has legs like pillars. He has a belly of bronze, he has inky black hair, he, and she, you know, I don't, he's got strange taste in women, she's, she's got a head shaped like a pomegranate, <laughs> she's got 
fuzzy teeth. And there's so many of them, they're like flocks of sheep, you know. I get pictures of like alien, you know. She's got rows of teeth. She's got more teeth. I can't tell you how many teeth she's got. So there is no accounting for tastes. But I know that they both thought that the other person was really hot. Read Song of Solomon. They both thought that the other person was really hot. And so I would suggest that, you know, um, you do the best you can with that reality. Peter didn't say, ladies, don't wear nice clothes. Don't put on makeup. Don't wear any jewelry. In other words, he said, use every advantage you can. He said, don't do this merely. Okay, what does that mean? It means you're supposed to do this. It's just that's not the only thing you're supposed to do. You're supposed to also take care of your spiritual reality. And we'll talk about all that tomorrow. But tonight, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about sex. Okay? We'll all get spiritual tomorrow. We'll sing Kumbaya tomorrow, okay? You'll all feel better tomorrow. But tonight, I'm just telling you like it is. They were naked and they were not ashamed. They enjoyed each other physically. And you may not comprehend all that is involved in what I'm saying. But listen to a pastor who has counseled lots of marriages and has dealt with many issues, and I'm telling you right now, the damage that you do when you ignore this, the damage that you ladies do when you use it as a weapon, when you use it to manipulate, when you don't use it at all, (laughs) the damage that you do to the male ego becomes such a wall that it becomes impenetrable. Men, the damage that you do by pushing her away, by not going into that arena, deprives her of of a sense of security that is absolutely critical to her. And so just mark it down. God put it in there for a reason. And you can come up with all the excuses you want, but uh, you're going to run into problems. You know, these Adam and Eve didn't have a whole lot else to do, really. They didn't have neighbors. There was no bridge club. There was no TV. No sports illustrated. There was nothing. They had each other. What are you doing tonight? (laughs) What are you doing this afternoon? What are you doing right now? I don't have to be anywhere. (laughs) So this is God's original plan. Have a nice place to live away from your parents. Get some serious bonding going on. Get deep into friendship with each other, intimate, and have a good sex life. That's how a good marriage takes place. And if you will apply these things, if you look for ways to apply these things, you'll find that even if your marriage is hurting right now, you can bring it back online. 
You really can. You can bring it back online with those four basic principles. It takes wisdom. It takes understanding. It takes knowledge. It takes a commitment. But you can rebuild your marriage. I don't care how far you've drifted from the original pattern. You can get it back to where it belongs because that was God's design. He said, look, I've given you everything you need to have a great marriage. I've given you ladies a man. I've given you men a woman. That's all you need to have a great marriage. From there, you've got to add the other ingredients. But I've given you what you need, and if you'll do what I'm telling you to do, you're going to have a great marriage. You might be thinking, well, you know, it won't because of this, and it won't because of that, and there's these problems, and we can't overcome this. And all I'm telling you is that you've got to stop lying to yourself, and you've got to start believing the Word of God. Because when God made Adam and Eve the first marriage, he had a really cool thing in mind. He had a really good relationship in mind. He had a, a beautiful thing going on here. We don't really have any idea what they looked like, but they loved each other profoundly. And they were naked and they were not ashamed. And I dare you to hold your marriage up against what we've talked about tonight. And if you see any gaps, you see any light coming through, that's not, you know, that's not where it's supposed to be. Do what you need to do to get that where it needs to be. If you need to, it's time to throw mom and dad out of the house. <laughs> it's time. They need to go. They can't take care of themselves. They, they've done great for years. I understand. Don't get me wrong. There are exceptional situations. But if mom and dad are living with you, lock them in their room and throw away the key. <laughs> Feed them under the door. You all right? Then spend some time together and grow in friendship have a lot of sexual intimacy and it'll be good i'd like every head bowed every eye closed we thank you again for listening do you want to receive updates from our church in your inbox make sure to sign up at our website vvph.org if this message has been a blessing to you would you consider supporting our ministry with a generous donation please visit our website vvph.org and scroll down to find the give button at the bottom of the page. We would be so grateful for your support. Until next time, love God and love people.